Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Cool. Well, I hope everybody is uh, doing well. If uh, you are new to the Mill Church, I want to invite you to uh, fill out our w- welcome card. You can do that digitally on your smartphone, themill.church slash welcome, themill.church slash welcome. And I hope you'll come back. I hope you will uh, make this your home for the Christmas season, at least a kind of, uh, you know, reaching its, its height on Christmas Eve. We have services at 3.30 and 5.30 p.m., so we hope you join us for one of those. This will be the first sermon in a three-sermon series on the Nativity And so I hope you decide to spend the season with us and to continue along with your journey uh, to find Christ. The Burris family, I must admit, is a bit behind on decorating this year. We got back just last night late from about a 10-day trip to see my folks and experience an early Christmas with them in North Carolina. My mother had beautifully decorated her home. And, you know, one of my favorite Christmas decorations has and will always be not the nutcrackers. I guess they're kind of cool, too, to look at. But it's the the nativity. Anybody enjoy the the nativity inside of your home? Yeah, it's this picture, this representation, this object lesson of the birth of Christ. Some call it a creche, I guess, in more formal circles. I've just always called it a nativity. I feel like it keeps me grounded. I feel like it keeps me focused. I feel like in a month full of distractions that I can pass by, walk by in my home, in the living room, uh, the nativity. We actually have a couple nativities in different places in our home. And I feel like it reminds me of what really matters in the craziness that is uh, Christmas. And so how many of you would, would say, I too have a nativity in my home? Just out of curiosity, raise your hand. Excellent. Okay, so several of us. What's funny I've noticed about nativities is that over time, and especially in homes with children, uh, the figurines tend to be used as little action figures, right, uh, throughout the month. And uh, I don't think they were intended to be used that way because they're not typically made of hard plastic or rubber or things that can take on use. Rather, they're made of, you know, wood and porcelain and breakable materials, right? And so um, in North Carolina, our three-year-old at my mother's home walks into the kitchen where a few of us adults are standing And in one hand, she carried one of the wise men. And in the other hand, she carried his head. Okay? So, I really thought you'd think that was funny. And nobody laughed. Man, I might need to leave that one out in the 1030 service. Okay? It's a true story. You know, she had broken his head off. He's decapitated. And she's holding the wise man there in the kitchen. How many of you, if you're honest, your nativity has taken a bit of damage over the years? It has some marks. It has some dings. It has some missing items. Um, How many of you would would say that your donkey's legs are glued on? Anybody have glued on legs for your donkey? Okay, nobody? Just us. All right. 
Uh, who here is missing a shepherd's staff? Anybody missing a shepherd's staff? All right, there's one, two, three missing shepherd's staffs. Okay, how many of you, uh, your, your wise man's gift is broke off? There's one, too. Boy, your nativity is looking rough, Andy. You may need to replace that thing. Uh, how many of you, the hands are broken off? Okay, yours too. All right. Um, somebody buy that guy a nativity set. My goodness. For how many of you, uh, your, uh, somebody uh, ran off with your sheep? Anybody missing a sheep? All right. Jacqueline's missing a sheep. That's so bad, isn't it, Jacqueline? That's just terrible that you're missing a sheep. I'm a dad. I'm a dad. If you come here, you're going to get dad jokes. Get used to it. So this is a heart-wrenching question to think about, this final one. But for how many of you, the baby Jesus is missing from your nativity? Anybody admit that? Anybody bold enough to admit that at some point Jesus disappeared and wound up in a basket of Marvel characters or some, somewhere else in your home? No? All right. Well, that's good to know, I guess. Nativities, here's the point I'm getting at. I think they look great from a distance. I think they look awesome. But if you, if you get up real close and stick your head anywhere near the crash and zoom in on these little guys and gals, uh, you'll soon say, um, boy, there's some missing features here that I remember from when it was new. There's some broken appendages. Uh, there are globs of superglue in places that I didn't uh, expect to see them or wouldn't in a new set. And so nativities look great from a distance, but if you're up close, it doesn't look so good. And I think the same can be said about our lives. I think a lot of us look great from a distance. Um, maybe that would include today social media. Brad Paisley wrote a song several years ago, I Look So Much Cooler online. I think everybody looks cooler online. Um, but when you get close into our lives, you notice that there are some faults and there are some things that are damaged on the inside of us. We talk a lot about peace. We talk a lot about joy. We talk a lot about hope. We talk a lot about love. How many of you have a pillow, a decorative pillow in your house with the word Peace or love or joy or hope, right? These are common things that we, we have joy, I believe, on our coat rack. So we see these words. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would say that for some of us, those emotions are actually hard to come by during the Christmas season. We want to feel and experience those emotions that we know were present at the birth of Jesus but we have a hard time experiencing them ourselves. So this season, we're going to take a look at the nativity. And first, we're going to take a look at the manger. That's today. Everybody say manger. Everybody try it again. Manger. manger. All right. Wake up out there. Uh, this isn't a question that we ask very often, but what is a manger? That's fundamental, right? I would argue that outside of Christmas decorations and outside of Christmas cards that we send and outside of carols that we sing, that that word manger isn't really a part of our vernacular. We just don't use it in everyday language. So what is a manger? Well, the word in the Latin literally means 
trough. Everybody say trough. A trough is where you feed your livestock. Okay? A trough is what you use to feed, to hold the food for your animals. And in Luke chapter 2, the word is used back to back to back. When that happens in the scriptures, we're told by scholars that that's intended to carry a weightiness of meaning. The scriptures are saying, lean in here, pay attention here, don't miss the significance of this, don't miss the detail. And the first use of the word is in Luke 2 verse 7, and this is what it says. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So Jesus was laid in a manger. Verse 12, same chapter. Here's another mention. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a what? In a manger. That's the second uh, reference. And then in verse 12, or rather verse 16. And then they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a what? In a manger. So here Jesus is in a feeding trough. Now our thoughts about this manger are typically fairly simple. And they go something like this. Oh, little Jesus was born into poverty. Little Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. There was no room for Mary and Joseph in the inn. Uh, And uh, how uh, un sanitary and how unfortunate for Jesus and how unsettling for Mary and Joseph and how unfitting, right, for a king. But the reality is that this birthing context would become really a megaphone for Jesus' ministry. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Meaning this wasn't just some random place. This wasn't just how the narrative happened to have unfolded there was no vacancy therefore they no 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 this was the fulfillment of prophecy this was God's sovereign intention this was according to his cosmic plan in fact the very first time the birth of Jesus was foretold was in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 I want to read that for you but you O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, you little Stratford-sized, Edgar-sized, Roselleville-sized, Finwood-sized town, shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient. Days. Historians tell us this was written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. The place that Jesus was said to be, uh, to, to be birthed in uh, was mentioned 100 years by name before Jesus was born. There was plenty of time, wouldn't you say, for God to book an Airbnb for Jesus to be born in? 700 years since Micah the prophet foretold. God has 700 years to lay 
on the heart of this innkeeper that he ought to make room, that he ought to to add on, that there ought to be an addition, a renovation to carve out space for the king of all kings. God had 700 years to arrange the other couples who were staying in the inn's schedule so that they wouldn't be there, so that their itinerary would not collide with the itinerary of pregnant Mary and Joseph. But the reason the more fitting arrangements weren't made was that this manger was all part of God's plan. There was intentionality. There was a forethought in the birth of the king of all kings being primitive and approachable and accessible to all people. The reason that you from humble Stratford, from humble Edgar, from humble Finwood, from humble Roselleville, can feel confident in boldly approaching Jesus Christ is in part because he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a manger. At the manger, if you're willing to look there this Christmas, I want to pause it this morning, you can find three things. First, you can find satisfaction for your hunger. At the, man- at the manger, you can find satisfaction for your hunger. I don't usually eat breakfast. Uh, I did, and I know you're supposed to. I did in North Carolina. My mother made a few bowls of grits and biscuits and sausage gravy uh, on uh, one morning in particular, but normally I'm a coffee guy. I drink coffee until my knees start to bounce. Anybody else here drink coffee until their knees start to bounce? That's just my protocol on Monday through Friday especially. And it never fails at around 11 a.m., 10.30, as early as, as late as 11.30, I start sensing my body speak to me. And my body says to me, I'm what? Hungry. I'm low on fuel. The point is, hunger, and then I go to, you know, Stratford Family Foods, and visit their hot bar most days, um, or go home and grab something at home. Um, But the point is that hunger is satisfied in the moment. When you get hungry, you eat. Anybody here have a family? What typically happens four hours on the dot after the last meal? Everybody says, you hear it coming from the back of the minivan, or the SUV, I'm hungry. Mama, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm hungry. So hunger is satisfied in a moment. In our culture, it would seem that we have infinite options to satisfy our physical hunger. We have Quick Trip. We have grocery stores. We have chain restaurants. We have vending machines. We have Grubhub. And when this happened for the animals in the writing uh, as was accorded uh, from, from Luke, um, according to Luke, 
they only had one spot. What was it? It was a manger. That's where they went for their food. That's how their hunger was satiated. Right? That's how they became satisfied. They went to the manger. They had one place to go. And church, what I want to share with you is that there is only one place to go when not your body, but when your spirit gets hungry. And it's to Jesus. It's to the manger. Because physical hunger is satisfied by food. Spiritual hunger cannot be satisfied. At Cenex. At Subway. At Applebee's. If you have a God-shaped hole in your soul, to use Pascal's analogy, that can't be filled with a chalupa, right? Why? Because a chalupa is not God-shaped. It won't fit into the God-shaped hole. The only thing that is God-shaped is who? God. God is God-shaped. God is the one who satisfies our hungry souls. And to amplify the significance here, God chose a town in Bethlehem that literally means house of bread. It was the place where the person would be born who would satisfy Every longing, hungry spirit's desire for significance, for meaning. Jesus would later use this very analogy himself, about himself. John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The bread of life from the house of bread. How about that? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Was he talking about spiritual hunger? How many of you? Of course he was. Not physical hunger, right? Anybody ever met Jesus and never hungered again physically? No, you're still hungry, right? Physically. We're talking about a spiritual thirsting. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you think Jesus, again was saying, whoever comes to me will never again hunger for a brat in the spring. We sure hope not, right? We hope not, that's not the case. Um, of course not. But our, but our physical needs mirror a spiritual reality. And we hunger for things deep within that no meal could ever touch. We hunger to be known. We hunger to be loved. We hunger to be needed. I was just thinking about this week. I have a need to be needed. I just want to be, if I don't have a text saying, I need you, pastor. Or an email, I need you, pastor. Or a staff member, I need you, Zach, to help me solve this riddle. I start feeling valueless. 
I have a need to be needed. We have a need to be befriended. We have a need to be wanted. We have a need to be pursued. And what I'm telling you is that no trip to your favorite restaurant will satisfy those needs. Furthermore, you can't go to work and simply give yourself to hustle and to tasks to satisfy those needs. You can't earn a high enough income to satisfy those needs. What I'm telling you is that the person found in the manger of your nativity will this Christmas satisfy satisfy those needs if you will look for him there. If you will meet for him there. If you will ask of him there. So at the manger we find satisfaction for our hunger. Secondly, we find perspective for our pursuits. One way we often acknowledge the fullness of having found Jesus by way of testimony, even though we may not say this directly, is we contrast it, contrast our having found him with the emptiness of our other pursuits prior to Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord and, and that God raised him from the dead, if you believe that, you will be saved. You'll be saved from your sins. And I would add, you will be satisfied. You will not hunger spiritually. And I think that instruction stands in stark contrast to the, what the world says we need. For satisfaction. For for fulfillment. Anybody getting ads in your mailbox? The world clearly knows what we need. Right? Or so it thinks. In Matthew 8.20, Jesus said this, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his hands. Isn't it interesting that even Jesus in adulthood, even his way of living, would confirm and affirm that the manger wasn't bougie. The manger wasn't lavish. Do you know why nativity scenes aren't scratch and sniff? Ready? How do you think it smelled there? It was awful. It was a manger. Where lots of animals were. I'll tell you that I hopped in a vehicle in North Carolina to ride with my dad and Caroline somewhere And I started to smell the worst smell known to man. It was awful. I just couldn't tell where it was coming from. I'm smelling my clothes and smelling the seat of the Tahoe 
we were driving in, and I can't find where this awful smell's coming from. Well, here, my sister's husband had just left with a 120-pound dog, and the yard was covered in dog manure. And where do you think that manure found itself situated? In between the treads on my sneaker. It was so bad. We had to open the windows to the Tahoe in the wintertime. It was so bad, Caroline, my three-year-old, acknowledged it from the seat behind me. What stinks, Daddy? Something stinks. The manger was not pleasant. It wasn't a place to hang out. Jesus wasn't... Well, let's just jump to this verse, Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Jesus puts it very clearly here. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus wasn't saying it's not okay to have money. I've told you many times money is morally neutral. Jesus is one who didn't have a place to lay his head. Remember, Jesus didn't have, Jesus borrowed someone else's manger to be born in. What else did Jesus borrow? He borrowed somebody else's tomb to be buried in. He had nothing. Jesus wasn't saying, though, that it's not okay to have money. Jesus was saying it's not okay for your money to have you. It's not okay for your money to call the shots in your life. It's not okay for your money to articulate what your values ought to be. Let me ask you this morning, is your heart bent on finding Jesus this Christmas? Or is your heart bent on finding stuff? Are your kids' hearts bent on finding Jesus this Christmas? Are your kids' hearts bent on finding stuff? Are your pursuits leading you to the marketplace or are your pursuits leading you to the manger? People spend years of their lives pursuing things like big, big educations and, and, and leave feeling empty even. I was just thinking when we were home, this lady came up to my mom at my grandmother, late grandmother's funeral and the sweet lady who was, a diff, who was of a different race. And I say that because I think it's meaningful in a time where we are so divided. She said to my mom, this lady, I want you to know that I was a caretaker for your mother, Shelby. And when my daughters didn't want to go to the prom because we couldn't afford dresses for them, your mom, my grandmother, your mom, Shelby, 
bought them two brand new dresses for the prom. I want you to know that. I want you to have these pictures. My late grandfather, Ken, who died rather suddenly, had written his tithe check out for the following Sunday and placed it in his Bible days in advance, ready to go to church. Someone reached out to me recently wanting to help someone in our church with a vehicle who needs a vehicle. I won't disclose the details, but it was such a generous thought and action. Someone else contacted me from here when I was in North Carolina desiring to send some students on a missions trip in our church. These people are models of generosity. Church, so many of our hungers are about us and therefore so many of our pursuits are about us. So I think we find perspective for our lives when we observe a man who died in a borrowed tomb and who was born in a borrowed manger. So at the manger, we find satisfaction for our hunger. We find perspective for our pursuits. Lastly, we find rest for our weariness. How many of you know there's a difference between being tired and being weary? I'll explain by definition. Being tired is defined as the need for sleep or rest. I am very seldom tired. I get very good sleep. But I'm often finding myself very weary. What is weariness? Weariness is defined as the reluctance to see or experience any more of something. The reluctance to see or experience any more. I've had it. Of something. Some of you may feel that way about snow already. I'm weary of snow. You know what my favorite saying is about snow? Um, I can't even recall what my favorite saying about snow is, actually. Um, It's something to the effect of you can choose to have no joy when you have a lot of snow. No, wait a minute. Some of you have joy with a lot of snow, but if you don't have joy, you still have just as much snow. That was the saying. Okay? So, we should have joy in the snow and in the season. Okay? So, where are we going to find rest for our weariness? Has there ever been a time that you can recall in our lifetime, maybe in some of your lifetimes who are a little older, or maybe in seasons of your life, if you, if you served in uh, military, uh, you know, if you were assigned to go someplace and experience something. I don't think there's ever been at least in my lifetime, this collective weariness. We are so weary of division and politics and COVID and protocols and relationships and drama. Just imagine, if you will, 
The baby Jesus laying in that manger this morning. See, the setting, it was not observed for people who were tidy and neat and organized. This was reserved for the humble of society. For the lowly of heart. I think it's important for us to understand Jesus slept peacefully and laid peaceably in all the mess that was present in the stable. He slept well. Are you sleeping well right now in all this disunity? Are you fed up right now and weary? Or are you finding peace? Might your words echo the words of Paul in all things, in all circumstances? I give thanks. Later in Jesus' ministry, I'll close with this. He said, Matthew 11, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So I'm going to pray for you this morning. I just want to allow you a moment. I want to provide an opportunity to step toward the manger. I hope you take additional steps next Sunday, Christmas Eve. I'm inviting you to step toward your nativity, to step toward the Christ child, and to find peace. Would you bow your head today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he left a perfect place, a position of strength, a position of affluence, a position of magnitude, an impressive position at your right hand as the co-creator of the universe and who descended to our place. Lord, I pray that if there's any people here today who are living in poverty, Lord, that they would find satisfaction in you, Lord, who lived among men. Lord, I pray if there are those here today who are weary, that they will find their satisfaction in you. I pray for those who are distracted by material pursuits, that they will, whether that's toys or money or a career, that they will find their satisfaction in you, Lord. May you grace us with your peace, with your love, with your hope. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.